I am glad that 2014 is over because it was a hard year for me. Anybody else have a hard 2014? Yeah. Last week I was, you know, telling people Happy New Year and all that stuff. And I told someone, you know, 2014 was so hard. I just want to drop kick it as far away from me as I can. I don't just want to kick it. I want to drop kick it. Are you familiar with drop kicks? The ball's got to hit the ground first. Then you kick it. So whether you're doing the football punt or the soccer kick, in my mind, I'm going to take 2014. I want it to hit hard on the ground. Then I want to feel my foot as I kick it far away from me. It was a very hard, difficult year for me, filled with pain. And, And as I reflect upon it, it's not just the pain of 2014 that was so difficult, but is my poor response to it. Do you ever get frustrated? Not that the stuff that's happened in your life, but you're just not handling it very well. Anybody else like that? I'm just not handling the stuff very well. Let me explain. For the last 20 years, I've been journaling on and off my prayers and motions and, and drama to God. Uh, and this past year, 2014, was, was no different. As I was reflecting upon just one random day that was very familiar to, very sound very familiar to a lot of days, I want to share with you a portion of my journal from October 9th, just a random day, October 9th, 2014. This is kind of how my year was going. Talking to God. I'm so irritable and agitated and sinful. Lord, please change me and forgive me. I feel so joyless and loveless and so moody. Lord, please change my heart and make me a new man. I want to be a man who is changed to serve you. It's a very common entry of mine, asking for forgiveness for sin. But if you notice, I say it a few times there, I mention change. I want to change. And I know change is in the air right now as many people make these New Year uh, resolutions. Perhaps they are resolutions to stop smoking or to diet or to eat more healthy. And let me just encourage you by saying 88% of those resolutions fail. Have a good time with that. I'm sorry to discourage you. But, but most people, if I look at it that way, I just want to be honest with you. Most people don't change, Right? Most will not change, and that's really, really encouraging. But I want to move beyond the New Year's resolutions and consider the desire that many of you have or may have for uh, internal change. Maybe there's some of you here that are just uh, naturally cranky people. Any naturally cranky people there? Yeah, I see you. You're just moody, agitated, ready to go off, and you're like, you know, I would like to change, and to actually be patient and loving and kind. Or maybe there's some people in here, you're, just, you're besetting sin is a life of impurity. And you're like, man, I'm tired of being, living an immoral, impure life. And I, I want to change. Or maybe there's others in here and you're just a, you're just a workaholic. You students, you just study all the time. You go in your cave, the semester begins, and you don't come out. And you don't interact with others, you don't serve others, you don't love others, you're not available for others. You're like, you know, I would like to change. So the reality is that many of us here right now want to change from a godless way of living into a a godly way of living. 
And so that brings me back to my October 9th prayer to God and asking for change. And I'm going to ask the question right now. Does God really change people? I didn't say do people really change because if I'm just thinking about you and me, people don't, don't usually change. But I have to believe if I'm reading this Bible correctly and if I'm understanding rightly that God can actually change people. And so if you're here this morning in all earnestness, not messing around with God, not playing around, and you have some stuff going on in your life that you would like to see change from godlessness to godliness, I have to believe from the word of God that that is possible. Not just possible, but probable. That God is in the business of changing people. And so that's why I want to hit on this this morning, that God changes people to love and serve him and others. God changes people to love and serve him and others. And that's where I'm going I'm to hone in this morning. That's what we're going to look at this morning as we turn back in the Bible to the book we've been going through all last year, uh, the book of 1 Samuel. We haven't been in 1 Samuel forever, forever. And someone asked me last week, where are we at in the book of Samuel? And I said, I have no idea. But I think it's chapter 9. So let's go ahead and turn back to 1 Samuel and chapter 9 is where we'll be starting this morning. Some of you are new. Some of you have forgotten what we talked about this past fall in 1 Samuel. And so I'm going to recap. And while I'm recapping, your mind will be drifting. So just know that's about to happen, all right? So try to catch your mind from drifting as I recap what has happened so far, so you can engage where we're at today. This is the history. First Samuel speaks of this leadership and spiritual crisis in the land of Israel. The Israelites were steeped in idolatry, but God in his grace went after them. He sent this leader. His name was Samuel. And Samuel was this, this odd combination of a judge, a priest, and a prophet, and he was going to lead the people back to the Lord. And he did. He was successful. The people repented of their idols, got rid of them, and they started following the Lord. But Samuel got old, and it was time for him to pass off the scene, and so it was time for his sons to start ruling. Now, if you know anything about Samuel's sons, they are, they are punks. They were not walking in Samuel's footsteps. And so the people were freaking out, and they saw that the next leaders were going to lead them back to apostasy. They didn't want to go there, but instead of calling out to the Lord for help, give us leaders. They said, you know what? Give us a king. We want a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations. And basically, it was a rejection of God as king. But God, in his mercy and grace, said, all right, you want a king here? Have your king. And we'll see what happens from here on out with the kings in Israel. But in mercy, he said, okay, I'll let you have a king to deliver you from your enemies. And that's where we're at in the story is God is choosing the first king. And the one he's going to choose is this guy named Saul. And the story goes something like this. There's this guy, country boy, Saul, loses his donkeys, his dad's donkeys. He goes out and hunts the donkeys. And one day, as he's out hunting for the donkeys, he bumps into the prophet Samuel. Prophet Samuel says, hey, Saul, your donkeys are fine. Don't worry about that. But by the way, all of Israel's affections are set on you, and you are about to be the next and first king in Israel. Country boy, hunt for donkeys, bumps into Samuel. All of a sudden, he's going to be Israel's first king. 
That's where we're at in 1 Samuel. That's the storyline. And we're about to have the very first anointing of this king. And it's a private anointing of sorts. And there's a lot of verses here, so try to track with what's going on. But it's just really, really good, all right? So let's look as we see this anointing of Saul and this changing of Saul to be a mighty king. Let's look at it. Starting in chapter 9, verse 25. Verse 25. And when they, that's Samuel and Saul, came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out to the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Samuel gets a little separation between Saul and his servants, so the big moment can finally happen. Samuel is about to tell Saul all that is going on. Now, keep in mind, at this point, Saul is pretty much clueless. All he did was leave, look for donkeys, ended up in the presence of Samuel, who speaks of Saul's greatness in Israel and gave him this great feast. Now is the time for Saul to be let in on God's plan. Now, Let's just, let's just, it's okay for Saul to be clueless, right? He didn't have much expectation that God was going to do something with him. It's okay for Saul, but it's, it's, it's not okay for you. Now, I don't want to go all Disney on you or anything and say that in each of you is this hidden king ready to be revealed or this special princess just ready to come forth. But I must say from the word of God, there must be a greater expectation that God is going to change you, to transform you, to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's that expectation I want us to have today as we continue to look at the story of Saul. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. It is a private anointing here. The anointing oil that is poured on him represents God's presence and God's power and God's approval of Saul as king. And in mercy, God is setting up Saul to be the king so that the people can be delivered from their surrounding enemies. And Saul would be the one who would rule over his heritage. That's just speaking of his people. So this is God acting in mercy. And so we have Saul over a short period hunting for his donkeys, running into Samuel. Now he's got oil pouring down his head, probably in a little shock. Samuel realizes this and basically says, okay, I know this is all of a sudden. I know there's a lot going on. I know this is a lot to take in. You may think I'm some kook, but I want to prove to you that what I'm doing to you right now shows God's authority and God's blessing on you. So I'm going to give you three signs. Saul is about to experience three signs that confirm his anointing and the authority of God upon him. You don't need to write these down. 
The first two I'm going to mention, and then they're going to be gone. But it's the third one I want us to focus on, because the third sign that Saul gets is repeated twice in the text to show us of its importance. So let's look at these three signs that confirm the authenticity and authority of Saul's anointing. Sign number one is in verse two. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Very specific. Yep, you're going to meet two guys. That's going to be in and around Rachel's tomb. They're going to say, hey, found the donkeys. Dad's concerned about you. Sign number one, that's what happened. Look at sign number two, verse three. Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. So after you meet the two guys telling you the donkeys are the found, you better go home. You're going to run into three guys, and these three guys, and they're going up to make this special offering, and they're going to give you some bread. It's kind of odd, right? But it's a sign that's going to happen, and giving them the bread for the sacrifice shows there's something special about Saul. Those are the first two signs. But it's the third one that's the most significant because it is repeated twice. So let's look at the third sign to show that, hey, Samuel's not messing around. Saul really is the next king. Look at verse 5. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elihim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Huh, that's interesting. You're going to be changed. You're going to be turned into another man. In fact, you're going to prophesy. Well, let's watch the fulfillment of that sign. Jump down to verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So the people of the town, they know the boy. They know the country boy Saul. They know that he's a donkey hunter. (laughs) He's a guy who takes care of uh, donkeys. And they're shocked to see him prophesying with the band of prophets. The prophets are coming out. They're worshiping the Lord with their harp and their tambourine and flute. And, and Saul is with them prophesying to the greatness of God. And to the shock of all the locals, the donkey hunter Saul now joins the prophets and prophesies. In fact, this event has created its very own proverb. And did you see the proverb that has created there? The proverb says, is Saul also among the prophets? So from here on out, when the Israelites ever saw something shocking or surprising, they would say, is Saul also among the prophets? It's like we would say, uh, do wonders ever cease? That's what we would say. 
our wonders never cease. It's like we have a, a random 80 degree over the winter, right? Which we're going to have not at all. But if we ever did have an 80 degree over the winter, we would say, we would say, is Saul also among the prophets? Because it would shock us. Or if the Cubs ever won the World Series, we would say, is Saul also among the prophets? And the point is, people didn't see that one coming. They didn't see the donkey hunter, the country boy Saul, going to be changed and now prophesying. And so they say, is Saul also among the prophets? You've got to wonder, how is that possible that Saul, the guy we know, the local, is now prophesying? How is that even possible? And we say, well, it's possible because God changed him. And God has a habit of changing people for his purposes. He has a habit of changing people who are broken and are messed up like you and like me. And he changes us to be used by him for his glory. I, I just think about my life. You, you didn't know me when I was a teenager or the very beginning of college. I, I cussed more than everybody put together in here. Foul mouth. I played sports in high school and college, knew nothing but cussing. I was sexually immoral. I was a thief. And after my freshman year in college, God came and got a hold of me, and he saved me in Jesus, and he changed me. And now I am standing before you preaching the word of God. Is Saul also among the prophets? God still changes people. He changes you. He changes me. He changes Saul. And let's look at this prediction of change further. This is where the text gets really good. So you might want to highlight, underline, this is really good. Look at verse 6 again. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and I love this, and be turned into another man. Verse 9 elaborates on this change. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Now, that is good. The spirit of the Lord rushing upon Saul, and he's being turned into another man, and he's being turned with this different heart. To me and to you as New Testament Christians, this sounds like the language of conversion, right? New heart, new man. It sounds like the language of conversion, but keep in mind, this is the Old Testament. So I'm hesitant to go there with the language of conversion. And I don't think it's the language of conversion, but I think it is the language of empowerment. Because in the Old Testament, there would be occasions where the Spirit of God would come upon a person so they would carry out a specific work. If you ever read the book of Judges, we have the Spirit of God coming upon us. Othniel, the judge, so he could be a great judge and a warrior. We have the Spirit of God told coming upon Gideon, so he could be a great judge. We have the Spirit of God coming upon, remember, the strong Samson, so he could act with great feats of strength. So in the Old Testament, we have the Spirit of God coming upon people to empower them to do a certain work. And I believe that's what's going on here with Saul, is that the Spirit of God has come upon him, And he's being changed and being empowered to lead God's people as a king. Old Testament. But we're here as believers in the New Testament. And so this is what I want to do. 
I want to take that Old Testament language and I want to apply it to us. And I want to take that and say, look, yes, it is the language of empowerment. But for us, it's also the language of conversion. Let me explain. Here's the story, if you want it summarized. God is holy. We are not. How can we die and stand before a holy God without being cast out of his presence in hell forever under his wrath? Well, only way that's possible is by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived this perfect life. And Jesus went to the cross and didn't just feel physical pain, but he felt the separation from the Father as the wrath was upon him in our place. Jesus died. He was buried. He came back to life. And now he is ascended at the right hand of the Father. And the good news is, is that anyone, anyone in here who wants to turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven. Now, the Holy Spirit is involved in all of this. And we know from the New Testament, for this conversion as it takes place, our old hearts are taken out and a new heart is put in. And we also know that we are giving the Holy Spirit of God and we are changed into new people. New people who are converted, who now do the works of God. And the New Testament language we could use comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So New Testament language for us, we're being changed into new men and women, new creations. But Saul also had that Change for empowerment, we can have that empowerment language in the New Testament as well. From Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I'm emphasizing this because what we see for the empowerment of Saul by the change of his heart and the spirit is even greater for us as we are saved, changed into new people as believers, and we are empowered to live a holy life. This is very important. And I want you to get this because what we're going to see next in the next verse is going to blow you away and it's going to be true for Saul, but it's going to be exponentially true for us. Look at verse 7. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. That's good. Because once these signs meet you, once the Spirit comes upon you, once your heart is changed, then just do what God wants you to do, and you are going to be successful because God will be with you. And for Saul, that meant be a king and go out to war against the enemies of God. But for us who have been changed by the Spirit, given new hearts, the reality is is that we can face battles, prevailing sin, and we can have victory by the power of God, the changed heart, the Holy Spirit living in us. That means we can start facing issues of bitterness, anger, immorality, greediness. We can face these in the battle by the Spirit of God, and we can have some semblance of victory. If we have hearts that are cold, they don't care about the poor, don't care about the, those who are suffering, that God changed me, we can have some semblance of change where we start to care. And we know this because we could almost take this Old Testament language and say, whatever your hand finds to do in serving the Lord, do it. You will be successful. You will have victory. 
Victory in fighting sin. Victory in serving others all for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to stop here because I'm going to talk about something right now that I'm going to talk about pretty much all next week. And I want to make sure that you're paying attention. Saul had the Spirit of God come upon him. Saul had a changed heart where he was turned into a different man. So you would assume that in this changed heart and this filling of the Spirit, he could just do whatever he wanted to do and he would be successful, as the text just said. But guess what? Saul was hesitant. He was hesitant to do anything. And I don't know if you've got your Bibles open in front of you. Jump down to verse 14. I don't know if this is on your your U version or not, but look at verse 14. So this is Saul going back home. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servants, where'd you go? And he said, well, I went to go seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not found, we found Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Okay. Change man, spirit of God, uncle's like, what's up? You saw Samuel, what did he say? Well, he told me about the donkeys. But he says nothing about the kingdom. He says nothing about the anointing. And you know what happens next week? Next week, we're going to see his public anointing. Here's your king. He's finally here. And guess where Saul's at? Do you remember? He's hanging out in the baggage, hiding. (laughs) It's time you've been changed, the spirit of God. And he's hiding, and he's doing nothing. You can have the spirit of God in you. You can have a changed heart. And I can give you all these great promises, but if you do not do anything with it, if you're hesitant, if you're hiding, you are not going to change. I believe right now that God is calling some of you to deal with a certain area of your life. He's calling you maybe on some great faith risk or to deal with some sin, to do battle, and you're hiding and acting like you don't need to do anything. All is good. I don't know if any of you in here watched that show, uh, Downton Abbey. I, I, I don't want to admit to watching it. I just watch it for my wife and daughter's sake. But uh, I, I like it. It's a good show, right? Um, this past week was the <clears throat> opener for the season. But did you pay attention to the show that was on after it. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was called The Manners of Downton Abbey. It's explaining to us people why they do all the manners and customs they do on the show. This is like 1950, 1925, Great Britain. And it's, and it's that people are they're dressed very formal. They have a certain way that they eat. They have a certain way they stand up when someone comes into the room. Uh, sometimes they'll change their clothes several times a day, depending upon the custom. They will not show emotion much in, in public. And, and the whole reason for them to, to put up this front, get this, on the show said this, is because the people at Downton Abbey and the people back then were trying to project morality. They were trying to project having their life together. 
So they would dress up and they would eat right and they would do the right customs because they wanted to show off that they had their lives together. They are projecting morality. But if you watch the show, the main character, Mary, has some issues. Does she not? And then there's us. I'm just wondering where you try to project morality, where you try to project having it all together even right here. Because I, I know, I don't, I don't want to call anybody out, but I know for a fact many of you need to deal and do battle with certain things that are going on in your life and you act like nothing is wrong. I'm just wondering, what, what's it going to take for you to pull back and you go, okay, I, I, have, I have something I need to deal with here. I have a problem here. I have a sin issue here. I have something hidden. Secret. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do and to deal with that, that you need to start dealing with it right now. Because if, I'm gonna, if I see you, I'm getting all mad now. <laughs> but if I see you here in 2016 and you didn't do anything about it, I'm going to throw my Bible at you. How can we go year after year after year after year and not deal with the same? We just don't deal with stuff. And you're projecting that you have it together, but you don't. And you're like, I don't know if God changes people. He does change people. He's putting spirit in you. He changed your heart. But you've got to do something. You've got to have engagement in the battle. And we are seeing that this, this engagement in the battle happens by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. This is the last verse I want to share with you, and it's significant. It may seem insignificant, but it's very significant. Look at verse 8. Samuel says, Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Did you, you know why that's there? Because the kings in Israel did not have absolute authority. They were filled with the Spirit of God, but they were still to listen to the prophet because the prophet was higher than them because the prophet was the one that spoke the Word of God. So Saul, he was to be filled with the Spirit, but he was still supposed to obey the Word of God. And the Word of God for him came through the prophet Samuel. So how will Saul? He'll be changed by the Spirit of God, and this change will be carried out as he listens to the Word of God. And it's, it's no different in our life, in our own lives, that change happens through the Spirit and the Word of God. So we're not Spirit-only people, and we're not Word-only people. People change because of the Spirit and the Word of God. Now, I, if, you, if you're not careful, you're going you're gonna to go wrong in one of these spots. Because there are some people who are Spirit-only people. You ever met Spirit-only people? Spirit, I mean, I'm trying to be nice, but Spirit-only people are really annoying drive me nuts. Just talking about the spirit this, spirit that, spirit let me, spirit this, spirit. And there's no mention of the commands or the word of God. It's just something way up here. And it's like spirit, 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 spirit. And it just drives me nuts. But then the word only people, oh, the word only people are so arrogant. They say, man, if I just go to the right church and I have the right doctrine and I listen to the right preaching, I'm going to just change. I don't need the spirit arrogance, annoyance. Let that not be us. We 
We don't want to say we are spirit-only people with no need of the guiding word of God. And we don't want to say we're word-only people with no need for the power of the Spirit. Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, New York. Great quote here. This is good. This is money right here. He says, if you have only the word, you dry up. If you have only the Spirit, you blow up. But if you have both, you grow up. That's good. That's really good. So we want the word so we don't dry up, right? I don't want to blow up spirit. Both we want to grow up. We want this change to take place. And the change is daily taking in the word of God, daily being empowered and changed by the spirit. It's a daily walk. It's a daily change. And as I said at the beginning, God is able to change the hearts of people to accomplish his purposes. Do you believe that? God is able to change the hearts of his people to accomplish his purposes. Now, let's just be honest here at the end. My thesis breaks down. It does. You ever just, you know, wrote a paper or preached a sermon, and someone said, ah, but did you think about this? And then just kind of wipes out your whole paper or wipes out my whole sermon. And what you may be saying is, Pastor, that was, a, that, was a, that, was, that, that was all fun and good, that little sermon you just gave. But let me just tell you how it doesn't play out. And you, you ready? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, okay, so you can tell it back to me. Here's the deal. Saul, the guy with the changed heart, the guy who was turned into a new man, totally tanks. I just gave you a sneak peek <laughs> the rest of First Samuel. He totally blows it. His life ends so bad. He does not follow the Lord. Things don't go well for Saul. And and, and I just told you, God changes people. He empowers people. And then there's Saul. (laughs) My brothers and sisters, listen to this. You are not doomed to follow Saul because, this is why, Because you follow another king. There is another king I want to tell you about, and this king was anointed just like Saul was anointed. This king had the spirit come upon him just like Saul did. And this king was commissioned just like Saul. But where Saul failed, this king did not fail. And let me tell you about this king. It talks about him from the book of Luke. Let me share this with you. Luke 4.18 talks about King Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Ah, the Holy Spirit. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Hear this. Where King Saul failed, King Jesus has not. Where King Saul failed, King Jesus has not. And King Jesus came as the anointed one, filled with the Spirit of God, carrying out the purposes of setting the captives free. And if you are a follower 
of Jesus, you are caught up in union with him. You are declared righteous by faith. You are in his life, death, and resurrection. You are accepted by the Father, and where you fail, you will be forgiven, and you will be empowered to change. You are not doomed to follow in the footsteps of King Saul because you follow King Jesus. And though you may not follow him perfectly, there is forgiveness and grace to keep going. So this is where I end by asking you this question. Where do you need to change? Like for real, where do you need to change from godlessness to godliness? Where is it? Do not show up here 2016 the same stuff that you ignored all 2015. It's time to start getting some movement and traction. I'm not talking about overnight, instantaneous, all gone, no more struggles and temptation. But what do you need to start addressing right now, today, at this moment. Let's pray. Lord, there are many great and precious promises in your word, and this morning is unbelievable that you desire to change us, to serve you, and you've empowered us by your spirit. You've changed our hearts to engage in battle, and a lot of the battles we want or need to gauge in are not, not easy and they're not fun. And I pray for uh, the woman in here who needs to face some hard truths or the man in here who needs to see what's really going on, doesn't need to continue to project having his life altogether. And Lord, I just ask that right now we will not be thinking about the person next to us or someone else in this room, or someone else at home. May we just be thinking about ourselves. Where do you want us to conform us more and more to the image of Jesus, and where are we resisting you? Where are we resisting change? Father, may we be open. You're you're a loving Father who cares for us, who has saved us to serve you. I just ask that we would not continue to ignore where you've called us and what you've called us to do and what you've called us to pay attention to. And may we step out in your grace and the power of your spirit and receive the change you want to work in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.